Praise the Lord. I'm excited. I want to say something. Tonight we were worshiping, and it's Wednesday night, and you all come in from work and your places of business and a busy life, and you've, some of you have come across Atlanta traffic, and, and yet we came in tonight and we laid it all down. And we lift up our hands to worship him. And we ushered in the presence of the Lord in a very beautiful, beautiful way. And I want you to know I love worshiping the Lord with the saints of Apostolic Tabernacle. And you know, sometimes when I'm standing here worshiping, and I just love to worship my Lord, I just think, isn't it going to be beautiful that someday we'll all be worshiping together? At a time when we're not going to be worrying about Atlanta traffic anymore or any of those other things, we're going to lay those all down and we're going to be there and we're going to worship him. And I am so thankful for his presence that we feel here tonight. I'm very excited to talk to you tonight about what wives wish their husbands knew about women. Now, I do want to preface this. This is not in my notes. This is one of the freebies you'll probably get. And that is when I address remarks specifically toward our husbands tonight. I do want you to know I do it with utmost respect. Because I have utmost respect for the men and the husbands of Apostolic Tabernacle. And so if I say something and it feels like it's in your corner, I'm not directing anything in your corner. I'm talking about principles that really do apply. And I say it with much respect. Now, if you're here tonight and if you are not married, do not lose hope in the fact that this is going to be a wasted night for you. Because I believe that the principles that we're talking about are principles of relationship. And if you're not in a married relationship at this time, you may be sometimes. So take notes and listen because I guarantee you someday you're going to need to hear these things. And even if not, right now, there are things that we're going to talk about tonight that apply to any relationship. A lot of these things apply to relationships because marriage is the ultimate relationship. In the Western culture, the family is in trouble. I recently read an article, and I'm going to summarize it. A 17-year-old young man was working at a grocery store. He was randomly attacked and injured in the parking lot. The attack was caught on video. There were arrests made. The father of the victim was interviewed, and he expressed how painful it had been to see the son he loved being senselessly beaten. But what caught my attention was his last statement. My son is all right. He will be okay because he has a family. The family starts with the marriage of two people who fall in love. We love saying that, fall in love. A lot of songs have been written about falling in love. Actually, falling sounds rather painful to me. I recently reread Dr. James Dobson's statements regarding this, and again, I'm going to summarize. While there are emotions and attractions that may be unleashed at first sight, real love is not something that we fall into, but we grow into. And that process continues over time. I love my husband to the moon and back. 
in August of 1978 when I walked down that aisle. But the journey we have walked together has caused my love to grow in ways that I can't even describe to you. Marriage is a God-ordained institution that is so precious that the Lord even refers to his church as the bride of Christ. It is the foundation for the family. One of my earliest memories from my childhood was watching my father walk up to my mother at random times. It wasn't their anniversary. It could just be any time, Saturday morning, Sunday afternoon, and put his arms around her and pull her into a very sweet, loving embrace. And I remember as a small child pushing myself between them and standing there, snuggled between them, feeling so very secure in their love for each other. It's a gift when parents love each other. When the parents know, when the children know that their parents love each other, it is a gift. As I have mentioned many times, I was abundantly blessed by, as Bishop so beautifully preached Sunday night, my heritage. One thing we knew is we were loved, and we also knew that my parents loved each other. But I also know that life is not fair. And everyone has not been blessed with godly examples of marriage and parenting. Does that mean you can't have a happy marriage? Of course not. Because you can start a new chapter in your life tonight. New beginnings. Satan wants you to think, if you have not had godly examples in your upbringing, that when the Bible talks about generational curses, that means you're doomed to travel the same path that your parents set before you. I believe, and I have asked my theologian husband, and he said I was on target that the sins of the fathers that the Bible speaks about may be that the, environmental, uh, the environment that we live in as a child that it becomes such a learned behavior that statistically, if you were an abused child, you become an abusive parent. Statistically, if your home was filled with anger and violence, then you may become an abusive wife or an abusive husband. And by the way, I have known of abusive wives. Women whose fathers abuse their mothers often fall into relationships where they are abused also. Statistically, if your parents had alcohol or drug addictions, you will also be a substance abuser. But that is not adding in the God factor. Because the Lord came to save our souls and to break the generational curses. So if you were not blessed by your earthly parents, you can have the ultimate blessing. Your heavenly father who gave you his word with all of the principles for proper relationships in it. So how do you do it? Okay, here we go. I've had to pray and ask the Lord to help me focus on five areas that men wish their wives knew about women. But I'm going to lay this foundation for everything I say, and it applies to both men and women. Timothy says, study to show thyself 
approved unto God. And I believe that that applies to your marriage. I mean, my goodness, if you're going to study for a degree, if you're going to study for a promotion at work, how do you get ahead in anything? How do you learn how to do anything? What do you do? You study. You study. You work. Relationships take work. Relationships take Yes, thank you so much, Bishop. It does, doesn't it? It takes work. It does not just happen. It takes work. How do you do it? You study. You study. You cannot treat your marriage relationship lightly. You must educate yourself, especially if there are areas that are not working properly. My goodness, get out the manual. Look it up. Figure it out. Don't be one of those men or women that refuse to get the manual on how to put it together. And you try to assemble a piece of furniture with 67 pieces and 999 screws, and you're trying to figure out how to make it work, and when you finish, it looks like a piece of abstract art, which to me is not art. And that's what your marriage is going to end up looking like. You know something with the nose on this side and, and, and some strange sculpture that's supposed to look like something and it really just looks like somebody that didn't know how to read the manual. My husband was not as blessed as I was with the heritage of a godly home. There were chains that were broken when he found the Lord and he determined, and I want to say that again, he determined... I'm going to say it again. He determined that he would study to find the proper way to be a husband and a father. And he did. And I also knew that even though I had been blessed by parents who were happily married, I had to learn how to be a wife. I'd never been a wife before. And so I began to study. And I made a lot of mistakes. I'm not going to tell you about my mistakes, but I made a lot. He's not going to tell you about my mistakes because he loves me. I made a lot of mistakes, but I kept studying and I kept working on my role as a wife, and we read many books. We truly studied, didn't we? We did. We studied. We read t books by Tim LaHaye that talked about our temperaments. We read everything James Dobson wrote. My boys used to call him Brother Dobson. They really did. Mama, are we going to listen to Brother Dobson on the radio today? <laughs> We tried to understand more about ourselves so we could understand more about each other. Every book written by Christian counselors and any pastor who would share with you his experiences would tell you that the man is always the last one to ask for help. Now that's very true. That doesn't just apply to your marriage. It also applies for directions if you're traveling somewhere. How many of you know a man who would ever ask for help? I'm sorry, I've been lost in Toronto, Canada, in a very bad area with a man that would not ask for help, so I know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> and when he does ask for help, it's for a different motive than his wife asks for help. She comes because her marriage is driving her crazy, and he comes because his wife is driving him crazy. Usually, if a couple comes for help, it's because the wife has begged in desperation as a last resort. And that's not right. It's your marriage. It's your marriage. 
It's the foundation. It's the foundation of your family. The family is the foundation of our culture. It is where you train your children how to serve God. If you don't get it right in your marriage, how are you going to teach your children that the principles of God work? That's where it starts. Do the principles of God work? Do they reflect in your life? You've got to show them that it does. The reason I'm so bold in stating that fact, because if we don't acknowledge that we need to grow, we won't listen tonight. So, <clears throat> man, you're going to sit with your eyes open and your mind closed. And then you're going to go home to a wife that feels you were not interested enough in her to listen to what she wishes you knew. Okay, and then here we go. Number one, your wife needs you to fulfill the role of a godly leader. Your wife needs you, I didn't know who I was pointing at there, y'all, to fulfill the role of a godly leader. I feel this so passionately. You can tell, can't you? <laughs> now what I just stated is politically incorrect. I'm sorry, y'all. When I believe something, I can't be quiet about it. I try. I'm married to my husband. What can I say? I, we're just, it, I feel it. It just comes out strong that way. And my poor boys were raised with that. We are not going to do that, boys. Yes, Mom, we know. <laughs> right? So anyway. Okay. Society has changed severely in my lifetime. The rise of the feminist movement has been so rapid and given such a platform in our society that this statement can even seem offensive to some Christian men and women who aren't reading the manual. But the Word of God gives very clear directives that man and woman are created differently. Not that man would be the master and the woman the servant. But we all know that there must be a leader, and God has given man that role and responsibility. But men in our society are absconding from that role. They are not accepting that responsibility. That does not mean that men need to take that responsibility and execute it in a controlling manner. It means lead. Lead means to go before or with, to show the way. That's what it means to lead. To give leadership, not orders. This isn't the army. Leadership. That means spiritual leadership. She wants you to grow deep in your relationship with the Lord so she can have confidence in you. Now, I'm serious, men. Y'all need to listen to this. I'm telling you some good stuff. This is what wives wish their husbands knew about women. She wants to feel that when there are challenges and difficulties that you're going to say, let's pray about this. She wants to feel that you will listen to the voice of the Lord and be shaped by the word of God. She wants to feel safe in your spiritual leadership as you submit yourself to the spiritual leadership God has placed over you and your family. And by the way, if you can't submit yourself to leadership, then don't expect anybody to follow your leadership because that just isn't the way it happens. She wants to feel the strength of your leadership as you plan your future and your finances. Will you make wise choices that show maturity and create an atmosphere that makes her feel that you are looking after the best interest of your family? If that's not your strength, and you know what, everybody doesn't have that strength. It doesn't come natural for everybody. So what do you do when you're not real good at something? What do you do? You go to somebody that knows how to do it and you learn how to do it. You learn, you study, and grow in those areas so you can accept your God.
given responsibility to lead. Bishop, I'm saying good stuff, aren't I? You're agreeing with me. I love it. He's shaking his head. Y'all, he's, we're good. Bishop shaking his head over here. We're good. She wants you to lead in the providing for your family. Now, this has become a challenging issue, and I can't give all the answers to this because her society has changed so much. And this is a disturbing thing to me, and I've put a lot of thought into it. But the roles that God has placed in marriage and family has not changed. Many families now require two incomes to survive. I've thought long and hard, and I still believe that it's very difficult for a mother to juggle a career or outside work as she takes care of her family. And I still believe that the years pass quickly and the family structure thrives when the mother is able to manage the family and the children. But I also know that the family can't thrive if you can't put a roof over your head. And society has changed. When Pastor and I married, our rent for our first apartment, I think, was $65 a month. I really think it was. It was not a very fancy apartment, but it was very clean. And it was in a safe neighborhood. In other words, you could live with less and work your way up and be in safe environments. But our world, again, has changed. And public schools are scary and private schools cost money and on and on it goes. So that can create a new hazard for marriage because it is still biblical for the man to be the head of the home and to accept the responsibility to lead the family. And your wife wants you to. She doesn't want you to sit on a throne and expect to be called master. She wants you to lead. We know that men need respect, and she wants to give it to you, and she wants to obey Scripture. She must respect, but men have a responsibility to lead in a way that invites respect. She wants to feel safe following your leadership. Number two, women need to feel cherished. Now, pastor's probably going to say it. So I'll let him say what need, men need to feel. But I'm going to say women need to feel cherished. We've all heard the unfunny joke about the man that said, Why, I told her I loved her when I married her, and I haven't changed my mind yet. In other words, he hasn't told her since. Yes, we need to say it with our words. Proverbs 25:11 tells us that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And that is so very true. Men, you need to use your words. And it's not just words she wants, but she needs to feel cherished. Let me define cherish for you. To hold or treat as dear. To care for tenderly. How do you hold something that's priceless to you? Do you run carelessly with it? No, you hold it carefully, don't you? That's what you're supposed to do with your wife. You're supposed to carry her carefully and cherish her. Now, we women are similar in many ways, but we are also different. And that's where your job gets a little harder because you must study your wife remember study to show yourself approved find out the things that make her feel cherished it can be different from woman to woman yes words of affirmation notice her listen to her <clears throat> listen to her <clears throat> did you hear that listen to her <laughs> You may think 
she looks lovely, but not realize that she needs you to tell her she looks lovely. I mean, after all, you told her before, right? You may have a list a mile long of great attributes you believe she has, but do you tell her? She needs to know you notice. Now, I've never had a lot of physical strength, not even when I was younger. Never. I have wished many times when I was lifting a gallon of milk that I was stronger. But I try. I I really do. Yet my husband will always insist on lifting anything in my presence. It makes me feel cared for. It makes me feel cherished. When I go to the grocery store and he's here at the church and I have all those bags of groceries, I take my perishable items in, and when he gets home, he carries all the rest. I don't ask him to do that. He just does it. Honey, I'll get it. I'll get it. Flowers are wonderful, presents are great, and you need to do special date nights, especially if you still have children at home and you need those date nights to get out of the home. But sometimes showing that you cherish is by making something that is really important to her, but not by nature important to you. Make it matter. It may be sitting and having coffee time and talking, or maybe you know that she loves order and that your socks in the corner of the room are growing into a monster that is making her feel like you don't care. So you consciously pick them up because that lets her know you care. Learn her love language. What's love language? Well, what speaks of love to her? Christian author, Dr. Author, Dr. Gary Smalley has written an excellent book entitled The Five Love Languages. Another example of studying. Is your marriage worth it? Is a relationship worth it? Yes, it is. Read a book. Read a book. Different personalities respond to different expressions of love. The last day I was with my father before we entered the hospital. We didn't know that we were going to the hospital that night at that time, but we had left an appointment and stopped for gas, and my sister was driving his car. My mother and dad were sitting in the back seat, which was very unusual for my dad not to be driving. And we were concerned that something was physically wrong with my father. So when we stopped for gas, I did what I had never done in my life in the presence of my father. I told my daddy I would pump the gas. He said, Oh, no, honey. You don't know how to do that. I gently laughed and said, Oh, yes, Daddy. I've, I learned a long time ago how to pump gas because, you know, my husband's been away preaching on lots of occasions when I had to have gas. <laughs> and I had to learn how to pump gas. But you see, one of the love languages of my dad to my mother was he always made sure her car was filled with gas. She never pumped gas in her life. It was one of many ways he made her feel cherished. Learn what best expressions of love will make her feel cherished. Also, learn what actions and expressions make her feel uncherished. Remember, to feel cherished is to care for tenderly. And this is real important, and I'm sorry, women, this goes for both of us, men and women. But marriage should be a safe place to share your deepest fears, your hopes, 
your dreams, your accomplishments, your failures. Your relationship and the shared moments should remain in sacred trust. That means the moment that she shared with you of a time she was fragile or vulnerable or embarrassed should never be used to ridicule or embarrass her. Husbands do not use teasing as cruel weapons. While kind humor is great medicine, but humor at her expense is not funny and leaves her feeling foolish and humiliated and certainly not loved. And that goes both ways, women. While growing up, I knew of two different families that would visit in our home. The husbands were so fun to be around. They were nice. They were always so nice to our family. I had a handicapped brother, and they were so kind to my brother. They were the kind of, of men that, you know, if, if you needed a flat tire fix, they'd just be right there for you. Or They were just so nice. But they were so unkind to their wives. They weren't kind at home. You would hear them talk about their wives, and it was always with ridicule. And I happened to know their wives, and they were good women. I know they didn't deserve that kind of attitude from those husbands. One of the sons grew up, became very accomplished in his business, adopted a child. He took on the same pattern. That woman stayed with him, but that daughter that was adopted, she left, and they've never heard from her since. She couldn't take it. But they were great friends to everybody else. That man supported missionaries across the seas. He did great works that way, but he couldn't be kind at home. It's sad if you can be great to the server at Chili's and rude and disrespectful to your wife at home. It's sad when a man uses all of his kind words to everybody but his wife. Your Christian words should start at home. You should treat your home you should treat your wife, you should treat the words that you use with your family as respectful as you would anybody. You should never be disrespectful and then show a different face somewhere else. You need to learn to have respect in a relationship. When you disrespect a relationship, you will kill. Love grows and love can You can kill something if you're not careful. Number three, give her affirmation to her God-given role. We tell you that we want you, we want you to be the leader, and we mean it, but we want you to understand that today we're being ridiculed for believing that a man is a leader. And all of you women could attest to that. Now, if, if you're not in the workplace as much now, but if you're out there, you know that women are being ridiculed. The idea of even a man and a woman in a marriage now is being ridiculed. If you believe that that's what it should be, if you want to accept that it can be either way, you're fine. But if you really say, no, marriage should be between a man and a woman, that's politically incorrect. If you want to say that my husband is the leader of our home, then you are not being um, a woman in today's society. Then you are in bondage and you're not thinking correctly. That's what our society is doing. So understand what our society is doing to our womanhood. This is what your women face, your wives face. It's telling us that we must look a certain way to be attractive. It's defining beauty in a way that can make us feel unattractive. And you can make a difference there. She should never feel that you are girl watching. 
You tell her she's supposed to look apostolic and that's beautiful. And then she sees your eyes looking places where they shouldn't look. Well, I'm telling you what, she doesn't believe you. She should feel that your eyes are only for her and they should be only for her. What Bishop said Sunday night was affirming apostolic women are beautiful. Understand her insecurities in that area and strengthen her confidence. Tell her how beautiful her long hair is. Tell her how beautiful her godliness is. Tell her and, and help reaffirm that it's the world redefining everything, not what you are redefining. The feminist movement is alive and well and in high places today, and it is not a movement that was just to give women equal pay and the right to vote and obviously good things. But the real feminist movement is full of anti-Christian and actually anti-man rhetoric that we do not espouse. If a woman's priority is her marriage, children, and her home, she is made to feel like she must be so simple that she has no great desires to fulfill her own destiny. The desire to be a mother and a wife is ridiculed, so please, husbands, please lead. And also realize that while we want you to lead, and the final decisions for the family will be determined by you, please give affirmation to our wisdom and our discernment, and listen to our opinions, and realize that we have to live also with the consequences of your decisions. Number four, please be kind when I don't make my list. Okay, I know you're all saying, what? What I'm really saying is that opposites attract. If you are married, look at your spouse. And I will be greatly surprised if you aren't looking at someone whose strengths are not your strong points and whose weaknesses are very possibly your strengths. Because just like a magnet, opposite poles attract. The outgoing life of the party isn't usually attracted to the other mouth first person in the room, <laughs> but to the, to the reserved person sitting quietly, observing all that's going on. Opposites do truly attract. So back to the please be kind when I don't make my list. Okay, I make a grocery list. I really do. Sometimes I forget it at home, but I make it. But my husband makes lists of list and list of the list of the list. My sons used to audibly groan when dad said, okay, let's get our vacation list. That meant the list of the fishing poles and the tackle, the name of the candy bars and how many we were gonna buy at Sam's, we were gonna eat on the boat, which day we were going to go to Wisconsin Dells to eat at Paul Bunyan's restaurant. What day were we going to cook out and what would be on the menu? And the list went on the fridge for all to see and to follow. Uh, we're going to do this. And, uh, it's not on the list. <laughs> but we might want to buy this. No, it's not on the list. He pushes the toothpaste very neatly from the bottom. 
happily they grabbed it right in the middle and giving it a good squeeze. <laughs> but he tells me he doesn't care which way. I squeeze it. That makes me feel cherished. Of course, you can always compromise and buy two tubes of toothpaste. Each personality has strengths and weaknesses, as I said earlier. Study each other. Not to ridicule or compete. Not to be better than each other. To understand each other. Many times the most irritating characteristics of your mate is a byproduct of the quality that you really love and respect. My husband might list us to death, but that mind that thinks that way was able to organize and research and think and publish a doctoral dissertation from a major, major university with information that had never been seen before that's been published into a book. While we each have a res responsibility to have a spirit-controlled temperament, we don't just accept weaknesses about ourselves that are harmful and sinful, but please be kind and bolster our strengths and try not to put a spotlight on our weaknesses. Remember, we're not in competition with each other. Competition leads to self-centeredness. Competition means I have to be better than you. That's what competing is. Instead of competition, we should be motivated because that is trying to be the best we can be. Number five, learn how to fight like a man, a godly man. Now, maybe that won't get everybody up. I've heard of couples that never fought, or maybe we should say they never had an argument. Well, that's great. That is wonderful. And I've got an igloo in Death Valley that I want to sell you. I can tell you one thing, if you've never had an argument, someone has a lot of passive aggressive energy building up. Because they may be bottling their feelings up or maybe they don't feel they're in a safe environment to state their opinions. But I do know that it is impossible for two people to agree on everything all the time. Remember we said opposites attract. So that means at times there will be opposite ideas or desires. So please learn how to have a disagreement or a discussion in a way that does not cause harm. It is not healthy to not be able to choose times to disagree about things that may be extremely important to you. Hopefully it's not about where you eat or the kind of cereal she bought at the store or really silly things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. If you're there, we got to start way back in the primer I'm studying. <laughs> we hope to grow more mature so we can defer to each other on many things. 
Because I'm going to tell you one thing. One of the most important things about a relationship is to prefer each other. And to not constantly be feeling like it has to be my way and what I want. That is a, that's, if, you know what, if you go home with nothing else, if you go home with nothing else, if you learn to prefer each other. And you know, just the little simple golden rule that we learned a long time ago, if we would treat each other the way we wanted to be treated, we wouldn't have to say all these long words and talk a long time because really it's very simple, isn't it? It's really a very simple process on learning to treat each other with dignity and respect. So we want to be more mature. And you know, the Bible says when we're a child, we put away childish things. When we become an adult, we're supposed to act like an adult. You know, that was a really challenge for me. I, I was raised in a home of adults. My parents were adults. They acted like adults. They lived like adults. They were responsible like adults. They make adult decisions. And then I got older and I saw other adults that, I'm not teasing you, I'm very serious about this. I was shocked when I started seeing there were like grown people who were like adults that acted like children. That was stunning to me because I thought all adults were supposed to act like adults. But I have found that some adults have not learned how to study yet. And in the relationships, they still act like children. And we want to tell a two-year-old and a four-year-old and a six-year-old and a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old not to have a tantrum. And yet they have their tantrums at home. So we need to learn to put the childish things away and learn how to have a dignity and a respect in our relationships. So relationships, there are times that we're going to have to disagree. Relationships, how to handle family affairs. Finances can be a huge source of stress in a family. Life is stressful. So it is not that you may have to disagree because you're going to have to disagree sometimes. But do it in a positive, respectful way and don't attack my personhood. Don't attack me. Don't attack your wife. Don't attack your wife's men. We're giving you leadership. We're saying you're our leaders, but don't attack their personhood. Remember to cherish. And then that disagreement, remember, you're supposed to be carrying that relationship in a careful way. And while words fitly spoken are wonderful, remember the tongue, because Proverbs also tells us, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. And words can hurt. And words can kill. And words can damage. But the tongue of the wise is health. So learn how to disagree with your wives without demeaning them. So follow some rules of engagement. Keep to the issue, not past issues. By the way, you know, I think the Bible says something about forgiveness is thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. So if we want the Lord to forgive us for past mistakes, should we bring up past mistakes that happened 20 years ago in a relationship? 
I don't think so. So keep to the issue. Okay? She's mad at you. She's real mad at you. She made a really, really, really good meal. Really good. She worked a long time on it, and she was tired. It had been a long day, but she said, I'm going to make his favorite dish tonight. And maybe, who knows, I'm a, <clears throat> maybe even some banana pudding, who knows. Even if I, I'm, really good meal. And then, what if somebody gets tied up? Somebody gets really tied up. And then not only that, they turn their cell phone off because they found out if you turn your cell phone off after you charged it to 100% that it makes the battery longer. And then they forgot to turn their cell phone back on. And that meal just got colder and colder. And then when they come home, just all happy. And that meal's not quite so nice. And she's not quite so happy. got to find ways to figure that thing out. And you know what? You got to keep the main thing the main thing. And so you know what you do? Say, I don't really like it. When you don't turn your cell phone back on, that doesn't make me very happy. And the right response would be to say, oh, I did it again, didn't I? But I'm going to tell you something. You don't sweat the small things. You know why? Because relationships matter. And you know what? That doesn't really matter, does it? That doesn't really matter. That's one dinner, one night. What's the big deal? We don't make those things matter. Choose your battle. Don't personalize the disagreement. Don't make it about them and what they're this and they're this and they're this. Choose your battle. Do you really want to die on that hill? Now, I learned that with my kids a long time ago. Raised three boys, and there were some things I was going to keep the main thing. And I would die on that hill for it. I would win that battle. And I won them. But there were some things I wasn't going to die on that hill. I wasn't going to make that matter because it didn't matter enough. My husband's the one that told me that. He said, do you really want to fight that battle? And I would think and go, well, no. So think about in your relationship, do you want to make everything a battle? Everything doesn't have to be a battle. Keep the battles. Keep the things when it really matters, when it's something that really needs to be discussed, when it's something that's important, that has real value, then make those things. Save your energy for those times and stay respectful. And try to resist the need to be on the defensive. And remember, it's supposed to be a disagreement and not a war. Remember, the issues may come and go, but your relationship with your wife is till death do we part. And the words, I am sorry, are always welcome when deserved. And lastly, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Always, always. Always kiss and make up. And that's how to make it work for a long, long time. Lord bless you, man.